0: This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Nora Flaherty. I can bring home the bacon, try it up in a pan, and never, 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 let you forget Back in 1978, when Charles of the Ritz used this now iconic commercial to sell their perfume Anjolie, the idea of a woman bringing home the bacon, frying it up in a pan, and then changing into a shiny evening gown and reminding her husband that he is, in fact, a man, seemed like one that a lot of potential Anjoli wearers could get behind. The ads were hugely successful. Those ads might not do so well today. Many people would probably argue that commercials and TV programming in general—see, Everybody Loves Raymond—are pretty traditional in who they portray doing the work around the house. But even there, you'll seldom see a wife who's actually happy to be both bringing home the bacon and frying it up in a pan— or a husband who's allowed to rest on his laurels after a hard day at the office. I go into the hamper, I find your pants, and I dig out your paycheck. You're welcome. I deduct our fixed costs, and I figure out how much we have to service our debt. Now, whatever is left over is our discretionary fund, and from that I put away as much as possible for the kids' college growth and income plan. You understand? One of the things that's changed since Anjoli rewrote the lyrics to that famous Peggy Lee song— is that these days, we as a nation think a lot more than we used to about what we've come to call work life balance. Basically, how we juggle our work outside the home and our work inside it, raising kids, cooking food, and keeping the place presentable and stocked with clean laundry. One way a lot of couples have chosen to balance their work in their lives is to work in non traditional ways, like telecommuting. But for many people, non traditional work hours are not a choice, they're pretty much the only option for one reason or another. But does working a non-traditional schedule affect the way your kids turn out? Chris Moret is an assistant professor of sociology at Fordham. He joined me in the studio to talk about the research he has been doing on that question. I started out by asking him to tell me about that research.
1: A general interest of mine is to understand how parents' jobs, and in this case specifically their work schedules, like how many hours they work, do they have flexible hours, do they work the non-day shift, uh, to understand how that affects their kids and Uh, By that, I mean their kids' cognitive development, uh, their behavioral development, things like attachment to parents. So we look at the link between, in in this particular research project, non-standard work schedules, so shift work, evening nights, rotating shifts, between we look at that and then we see whether kids' uh, early childhood, you know, nine-month-olds, two-year-olds, uh, whether their cognitive and behavioral development is affected. And we focus on what we would call mediating factors. So if indeed parental work schedules do affect kids, is it because they affect the parental relationship? Do they affect the parents by making them depressed or stressed out or less able to you know, give time to the, to the kid? Do they affect parent-child interactions in some other way? Or is just the timing bad, right? I mean, let's say you have a mom who works the night shift and the dad works the day. So you have the dad works all day, comes home, And he's the one who's got to sort of get the kids to bed and feed them dinner. Is that different than if the mom were to do it? Is just the timing of the hours relevant to what the kids experience?
0: Now, it might be worthwhile here just to talk a little bit about what shift work does to people who work shift work.
1: Sure. Well, there's actually a lot of evidence about that, and it goes back to at least 1980. And some of this is really just straightforward, and we've all experienced it uh, either by working a shift or by, you know, keeping crazy hours for some other reason. And one would be just be simple as sleep deprivation, which has so many negative effects uh, in terms of your mood, not to mention some physical effects that might be more long-term, but, you know, it's still something to think about. So really, uh, you know, sleep deprivation, it can be stressful for a number of reasons. The stress can be because you're working different hours from your partner, and so maybe that is bad. And, of course, sometimes it's hard to separate the work schedule from the actual job, right? So maybe if it's a night shift... It could be in part that, you know, you're working at a job that you find very stressful. Now, you know, when we do our research, we try to separate these things out, but it's not always 100% possible to do that. So shift work, you know, again, it's it's mainly stress and fatigue, irritability, things like that. But, you know, there are physical effects. And, and the one thing I should maybe should say is that, you know, some people work shifts and they're fine. They cope for whatever reason. So it's not always the shift work. It's whether the shifts then cause you to feel like sort of overload, you know, work family strain. But while that's true, generally speaking, shift work, you know, through the sleep thing and some other things uh, can affect your personality.
0: It can make you depressed, can it? Absolutely. What, how does that, I I think it has something to do with circadian rhythms or is it sleep deprivation or what?
1: There is the upsetting of circadian rhythms, especially if you work rotating shifts so there's, there's circadian rhythms, there's just not getting into a pattern, you know, apart from what your base rhythm is, and, you know, again, it's not optimal to sleep during the day when, when, you know, when your kids are awake to have chopped up sleep, you know, and again, that's my, I'll go back to the circadian rhythm, but I think it also just sort of goes to more generalized fatigue, and then, you know, of course, this all happens in concert with other things that are happening in your life, you know, and it's harder to deal with any given thing when you're exhausted, especially if you talk about somebody with a brand new kid, I mean, I've I've got a 16-month-old, and... My job is, fortunately, mostly flexible, and, you know, <laughs> 2.30 in the morning is not the best time to wake up, uh, but imagine if you already had this crazy sleep schedule. Um, so it's, you know, it's sort of not just a sleep deprivation, but it's in concert with other things that are in, would be tough anyway.
0: So you have a situation where you have kids and you have one or both of the parents working uh, mm-hmm. non-standard hours. What are the traits that will tend to be present in those kids? You know, a lot of it does
1: depend on whether shift work triggers sort of this domino effect. But if it does, what you can see are maybe different kinds of parent-child interactions. So I'm going to tell you what the inputs are, and then I'll sort of say, well, what happens to the kids? Parents who are less patient, more irritable, who maybe don't have the time to do something like sit down and read a book as often. You know, I mean, let's face it, when you're tired, when you don't have a lot of time, you just came home from work, you got to rush out to the night shift. Parenting takes patience, and you know you kind of have to, to some extent, go with the kid's flow. So that's all much harder when you have these external time constraints. And so, you know, parenting is, again, more rushed, uh, perhaps more irritable. Um, maybe when you're tired, you just don't have the energy to, to do as many things. And, and again, sometimes it's it's the irregular timing. You know, I think there is some evidence I'd have to double-check uh, some of the specifics. That You know, the sleep patterns of kids can be affected by their parents' work. And that can, you know, really be negative for the kids. So... What can end up happening with the kids if the parents really let this stuff come through and if there's not a good childcare situation to help sort of stabilize is, you know, what we look at are early cognitive outcomes and early behavioral outcomes. So with the early behavioral stuff, we look at things like, you know, can kids, can they stop crying easily? Can they get to sleep fairly easily? Kind of sort of very intuitive things like this. Um, and these are the precursors of more significant behavioral problems later on. And when we get into like let's say the two year olds, we look at things like attachment to the mother. On the other side, we look at cognition, right? So early on we look at like for a two-year-old we say, you know, can they do something like match a shape to a a hole in a in a you know a block? In terms of what the kid is like and their outcomes, it's these things.
0: So I know it doesn't actually work directly like this, but right. if you were to look at a kid and say wow, that kid is in the absolute worst situation, shift work, parent-wise. What qualities would that kid have? I see.
1: I see. You know, worst case scenario, um, wouldn't be as well adjusted, to put it most generally. You know, wouldn't behave necessarily as appropriately in group situations. You know, if you want to think of things like eating and exercise, you know, they would be less healthy, maybe more obese, because they didn't get the exercise and, and... and the diet, you know, um, I got. Oh God, I'm, I don't have time. I'm going to throw some some frozen dinner in the in the oven, you know. But yeah, I think you would see kids that were, you know, things that you ne- associate with kids who who are in general uh, problematic. I mean, crying more, whining more, clinging more, less secure, you know, hard to calm down. Um, yeah.
0: You're also doing this research about obesity. Tell me about that.
1: Basically, we are, we're looking at this survey. It's a, it's a survey called the Early Childhood Longitudinal Survey, and it's a survey of about 10,000 kids, all of whom were born in 2001, and it asks this whole huge raft load of questions. But basically, we're looking at parental work schedules, flexibility, shift work, and hours worked also, which of course is huge, and to see whether that affects diet, physical activity, we also look at child care arrangements because, you know, that can sort of indirectly get at diet and exercise as well. And then looking at the outcome in terms of obesity. That's that's exciting. And later on we'll be able to extend to look at things like how does Head Start work into this because, you know, obviously that's a, a program that gets a lot of attention from policymakers. And so maybe, you know, we can, we can produce some findings that have some hypothetical uh, policy relevance anyway.
0: I assume you're hypothesizing that kids who were in a uh – a less good situation with regard to their parents' work schedules will be fatter and less healthier.
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, and again, one interesting thing is, you know, for some parents that might not be as big of a deal. Like let's say, you know, if you send your kid to a certain kind of childcare or you can afford to buy healthy sort of fast food, you know, something like your kids is going to be less likely to be obese whereas if if you're poor, you know, your kid you know, your neighborhood you don't have good access to like healthy foods or things like that. So this relationship between work, diet and exercise, and then obesity, it it exists. And another sort of more fine-grained question is, does it depend on who you are, whether this relationship exists? Can certain people kind of uh, guard against it?
0: You are listening to Fordham Conversations on WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org. I'm Nora Flaherty. We're talking today on the show about shift work and the effects it can have on kids when one or both of their parents work non-traditional hours. My guest is Fordham sociologist Chris Moret. Let's get back to that conversation. You and other sociologists make certain assumptions about the kinds of time that mothers and fathers in these situations spend with their kids. Tell me about the kinds of time that you talk about.
1: For mothers, we look at quantity of time spent, but we also look at the type of activities and also the the level, how intense the interaction is. Is the mom in the same room? but doing the dishes or talking on the phone or doing some work for her legal firm while the kid plays or is she down there on her hands and knees, you know, doing a puzzle. So it's, it's the amount of time, it's, it's the type of activities. And it's also her interaction style, her mood, her interaction with the kid when she's doing whatever it is she's doing. And so it's all of these things. As for dads, you know, the big thing, it used to be that a lot of attention... Child developmentalists would give a lot of attention to um, moms and less to dads, or maybe look at dads in terms of what their financial role was. But, you know, again, it's been a fair amount of time, several decades, that people have been looking at fathers in terms of the time they spend with their kids. But we got more, we, you know, the field got more sophisticated by not just looking at the time spent, but also at the nature of the interactions, uh, you know, and, you know, were dads engaged or were they just there?
0: One of the things that I thought was interesting about the time spent thing was the idea that you know yeah when you were there it didn't necessarily mean you were actually caring for the kid and sort of the uh, scaling of activities like getting up when the kid was crying at night and feeding them and yeah. playing with them and all that stuff. What were the different expectations between mothers and fathers there?
1: Well, that's just maybe the, maybe the best way to sum it up is this: in this survey that I used, the Early Childhood Longitudinal Survey, they asked dads. How often they bathed the kid, changed their diaper, fed, etc. They don't ask moms because they assume, you know, that's pretty stark. I think they also ask dads in more detail how much time they spent caring for the kid. So there are absolutely different expectations.
0: And even when the father is home and the mother's not, it's more likely that the father is going to be doing something else and somebody else is going to be caring for the kid, right?
1: Well, certainly. The father, when they're at home and the mother's not, fathers do more. You know, they do more. They do more housework. They do more child care than if, let's say, they both worked the day and then both came home at night. Dads do more. The conception that fathers aren't as qualified as parents has really been weakened by some of what we see. And, and some of that is, indeed, dads getting more involved and, and more involved in the case of work schedules where they um, they work you know opposite hours from the moms. So... As for your specific question, I do think that there's some evidence that even if the dad's home, the kid might be in child care. um, There are different levels of engagement between dads and, and kids, but it's not totally black and white.
0: This is something that I also thought was very interesting and also a little confusing. I'm hoping you can explain it to me. You looked at differences between when mothers have different schedules and when fathers have them, like if the father works the day shift and the mother works the night shift as opposed to when the father works the night shift and the mother works the day shift. What did you find there, and why why is this something that matters in terms of outcome?
1: Well, one way that our research is making a contribution to the field, is that previous research did one of two things. It either asked simply, does the mom work a non-day shift, yes or no? And does the dad work a non-day shift, yes or no? Or it would ask the mom in detail about her shift, you know, evening, night, weekend, rotating, but it wouldn't it either wouldn't ask the dad or would just ask the dad, you know, shift work or not shift work. So we had no idea of whether parent's schedules really overlapped, and we certainly didn't know anything about patterns. You know, the dad's there during the day, but the mom is there at night. So just looking at that question is new. The question is, does it matter? And we have found that it does matter that who is home when uh, matters. And depending on the outcome, you know, is it cognition? Is it behavioral development? Um, depending on the outcome, the patterns are different. So they're not totally, you know, we can't say something like, well, when the mom is home during the day, then goes to work, the dad's home but works during the day, then comes home and cares for the kids at night. You know, we can't say that that's the worst combination all the time. Although that particular combination you know, where the dad works, then comes home and has to take care of the kids after the day of working um, is one where, you know, that's one of the more negative, negative outcomes. But generally it does matter what the timing is, the specifics of you know, again, which which schedule combination are the worst depends on what outcome we're looking at, um, and it's it's complicated. And so the next question, which we can't necessarily get at with this research, is well, why is that? Are our kids more difficult, or you know, are certain parts of the day more challenging for them? Meal time, bedtime, maybe, or maybe the evenings tougher because they're tired, you know, and that's where parenting is most difficult, where it matters the most, you know, things like that.
0: Do you? feel comfortable saying what sort of combination of things tends to be best in terms of how kids do and have any sense of why that is?
1: Well, when they both work days, that's usually the best. So, of course, um, no shift work. And that's in part because of the shifts, but also because, you know, these things are correlated with other things, right? Like who works shifts. It tends to be people who are in lower, lesser paid jobs, who are less educated and all that. And we try to control for these things. Um, and we do to a significant est- extent, but can we a hundred percent sort it out statistically? I think we should have some healthy skepticism about that, which is, is fine, but it just should make our ultimate conclusions somewhat tentative. We do see some problems, like I said, when the dad works during the day, then comes home. That That is probably the, the single most common problematic situation.
0: Do you have any thoughts on why that would be?
1: Well, there are two things. Is there a is it something else? Is it not work schedules? Is it something else, you know, about that family where the mom has to work? And of course, we're talking about two parent families here. We haven't looked at single parent families yet. Um, is it something about moms who work at night? Are they less well off? You know, are they forced into this schedule by the fact that they have trouble finding a job? Because as an aside, you know, some parents do work shifts as a way to work out the childcare situation. But that's uh, that's not always the case. Oftentimes, shift work is because they have no other options, because the pay is just much better. But it's not totally like elective. So you know, so some of it might just be that the families where the mom is working at nights might be different in other ways. But in terms of the direct effect of shift work, I think um, you know it's it's got to do with the fact that the dad is parenting, perhaps, and these are just hypotheses. At you know again, dinner time at bedtime at times when the parenting is perhaps more challenging. And, you know, again, on average, maybe dads, especially after a long day at work, um, are different kinds of parents at at times than moms. There are a bunch of other possibilities. I mean, you know, for example, one thing we look at is what does working shifts say about the parental relationship? Um, You know, we know that when parents work opposite shifts, dads do more. Around the house. Now that's good for that. Can be good for a relationship, you know. Mothers feel like they're getting more help, etc. Um, at the same time, is there this strain that the mom, you know, has to go out and she's the one working late and isn't around? Does the dad feel bitter or you know resentful, um, which could filter down to the kids? And again, all these things, parental mood and things, they filter down to the kids in an indirect way. It's you know, it's hard to to say that. Every time a parent is upset, it's going to affect the kid. But you know, it happens over and over again, and in some cases, it filters down. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's the fact that the dad is parenting at certain times is probably the biggest category. But um, you know, I think we need to continue to do some more fine tuned, you know, very close up research. These big surveys are super helpful, but other times we need to do sort of ethnography where we go into the to houses and um, if that's possible. And if that doesn't make people alter their behavior, you know, to see exactly what's happening. Because sometimes, you know, it's stuff that we never would expect.
0: This is Fordham Conversations on WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org. I'm Nora Flaherty. Just after the show this morning, it's Cityscape with George Bodarchy on today's show unusual housing in New York City. That's ahead at 730. But first, let's hear the rest of my conversation with Chris Moret. During our conversation, Red had mentioned that certain sectors of the population are more likely to work shifts than others, and he also mentioned that this might be tied in with the issues he's looking at in his work. I asked him to tell me more about that.
1: This is anecdotal, but if you want to think about think of the shift jobs, think think of actually first let's do this. Let's think of prestigious jobs. These are office jobs. Now they might have long hours, actually, but you know you're not going in at six at night to four in the morning, and in addition these rich people even if they work long hours can afford childcare, after school programs nannies whatever maybe maybe one of the spouses doesn't work but think about shift workers think of who works think of who works shifts i mean cashiers waiters and waitresses you're know, not saying that waitresses are inferior to lawyers but maybe they are more stressed out they have had more challenges to deal with which then affects their parenting you know So, again, you have people who are less educated. You have people who are, you know, by definition, who are in jobs that are somehow less desirable, right? Because they've had to... I need a job. Okay, well, I've had to go to a shift.
0: And it's safe to assume that when you do uh, take on shift work that it's going to have certain uh, deleterious effects on you in terms of um, how awake you are and how irritable you might be and that sort of thing that would subsequently make these problems be more prominent in your kids as well.
1: It it really is. It's like... uh, It's just a bunch of things thrown together. And I remember, actually, when I was... um, well, I'll keep the story vague. I don't want to name any names. But talking with somebody, and they said, well, you know, why why study work-family? You know, is it really that big of a deal? And, you know, if you're middle class, having work-family strain, that's stressful. But where it really has some negative social repercussions are people who are less well-off. You have people who... um, who aren't just stressed out or feel like they're overloaded, but you have people who maybe can't hold down a job because, you know, let's say they work a shift, they have trouble getting childcare. You know, it's not, it's hard to get childcare at 2 AM. So they, they might lose their jobs. You know, they might have to rely on inferior childcare arrangements, you know? And so it's all these things in in combination that really can sink somebody. And again, the middle-class people, of course we, we worry about them and we worry about gender equality, regardless of what, strata of society it occurs in but where it has sort of these major negative outcomes is low-income families where again parents hold on on life you know and the stability of their families and of their daily routines is tenuous to begin with and again you talk about people losing their jobs um and just to cite like a specific anecdote i just heard about somebody who take had taken some time off and she came back and was already to work the seven to three shifts she had childcare set up a couple days before that, her employer called and said, we we need you to work the, uh, instead of the 7 to 3 shift, the 3 to 10 shift. Two days before she went back to work for maternity leave, and like, you know, you can't find childcare for 3 to 10 in two days, most likely. So that's just an anecdote, a specific example of what I was saying more generally.
0: So there are more sort of stressors. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, this is sort of worrisome on its own, but does it have possible ripple effects throughout the society as opposed to just being sort of a sociological fact?
1: Well, let me preface by this. You know, I I've work, family is my, you know, the area that I study and I love it. But I ask myself sometimes, is it the worst social problem in the world? You know, we have disease in third world countries and the environment, which is probably the number one social problem, um, you know, dispossessed peoples, And so, you know, God, how... How middle class, how bourgeois, as a sociologist would say, is worrying about the fact that people have trouble balancing work and family. But I do think it matters in terms of individual well being and also in terms of fairness. So I think it affects individuals, health, long term health. You know, people, you know, you sort of see different levels of uh, cholesterol and other things, high blood pressure, you know, so you have these long term health effects, work, family, you know, and, and the mismatch between work schedules and and family responsibilities is one of these things that affects the environment kids grow up in. And so, you know, what does that mean for society? It means, you know, for schools, that means, you know, maybe kids who are less well adjusted or, you know, who just impose more strain and take away from the other missions of schools, work family strain. And again, um, this is not about shift work per se, but you know, what if we had a qualified worker who couldn't find a good job for scheduling reasons? Wouldn't that be a waste? Wouldn't we, want, wouldn't we want that person to be contributing to the economy, you know, in terms of who's in our labor force and who's contributing to the productivity of the nation? Um, you know, work-family balance is an issue. Work injuries, you know, again, sounds dramatic, but people do die at work, and they often it's because of fatigue. So I've just thrown a few things out, uh, not as systematic as we sociologists like to be in our in our heads. But, yeah, there are, are some very clear roots from shift work and you know sort of work schedules in general to some really tangible, very negative outcomes, and the question is, could they be avoided, right? We don't have a perfect world, we don't have a perfect economy, the economy has to worry about you know we have capitalism, which is you know is not a wholly bad system um at all. there are other imperatives of our society than just the individual worker, but the question is, could it be better and I think in some cases, yes, I think we could do better with work schedules, and so where can we eliminate the trade offs later on we can deal with the trade offs okay well we're imposing a cost on business by you know making them pay for maternity or paternity leave that's a different question but where can we avoid the trade offs by just having some flexibility and you know we've seen flexibility increase lately information technology helps that um i think organizations are becoming more flexible. Uh they see the call for it and they respond to it either out of altruism or because they feel like they need to respond to their employees. So you do see some slow movement, but it's incomplete. And so so even though, you know, to go back to what I was saying, work family isn't the most pressing social issue of world history, it has effects. And and it's somewhat avoidable. So I think it's it's definitely worth putting major effort into studying
0: and, and understanding. If anything, what do you recommend should happen? Well, I do
1: have recommendations, and I think that the difficulty is, you know, really depends on the situation, on the business, on the industry, on the worker. I could start most generally by saying, what are the things that prevent work flexibility? Sometimes it's the nature of the job. You're working on an assembly line, like, you got to be there. You know, you got to be there to put on the, you know, the axle when the car rolls down the assembly line, like, that's it. Um, If you work at CVS, you know, you can't ring somebody up from home. So time and space do matter sometimes, and, and those are the cases where it's harder to be flexible, although I'll come back to that in a second. It's not impossible. For other people, there are, you know, the hurdle isn't the job itself, but it's maybe how the organization is structured. You know, people taking meetings and moving them towards the middle of the day, not in the beginning of the day or the end of the day, so that, you know, because those are the times when people really have to, you know, take care of, let's say, a breakdown in childcare arrangements or, you know, a sick kid. So some jobs, the work process needs to be restructured. Other times you have organizations that claim they're in favor of work flexibility, but then it's not implemented. You know, usually because there's this culture that frowns upon it, right? We equate time spent with your value as an employee. And there's some logic to that. But that being said, productivity is not totally synonymous with time spent. And so I think one thing people try to do is to to move to a more results-oriented work system. You know, you can try to get away from this time- obsession uh which again is not totally irrational but it's a little overblown and i think another thing you see is oftentimes you might have like the brass of a company saying hey we're in favor of it but the middle managers are the ones who have to implement it and that can be tough you know think of a middle manager a sales manager his deadline is tomorrow monthly sales deadline you know he's not thinking about employees flexibility so those are real challenges And i think my general suggestion would be to, to sort of break down and this is this is being done a lot you know but it always could be done more and by more people to break down sort of these reasons why the job is inflexible and then come up with specific solutions. And just to give some examples of that, you know, the first example I started with, the assembly line. I said, how can someone's got to be at that, at that station putting the axles on? Well, okay, somebody's got to be there, but maybe if you have, if you cross train people so that I can know how to do axles, but also wheels, bumpers, you know, you can have someone else there. Um, and I think as we see, people of the younger generation, men who had to be p- dads, you know, whereas sort of the stereotype older men today who predominate in management didn't have the same fathering you know, responsibilities, you I think you will still see some you will see some increase in the realization that flexibility is important. And yes, you have companies that are profit focused, but you know, and companies are constrained in terms of how altruistic they can be. They're not totally constrained. You know, you've and as proof you have great variation from one company to the next so those are some of the things I would throw out as solutions.
0: Well, Chris Moret is an assistant professor of sociology at Fordham. Chris, thanks so much for coming in. Thanks, Nora. If you'd like to take a closer look at the study that is providing the data that Chris Moret and his colleagues are using, you can see it at nces.ed.gov ECLS. He's working with the birth cohort. From WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org, this has been Fordham Conversations. If you have any comments or questions about today's show, you can email us at FordhamConversations at WFUV.org. We would, of course, and as always, love to hear from you. Fordham Conversations is available as a podcast at WFUV.org. It's also in our audio archives, which you can also find on our website. I'm Nora Flaherty. Cityscape is next. Thanks for listening and have a fabulous weekend.